Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We are here with the amazing Michelle Beatty, a neuroscience-based practitioner that we love oh so much. In fact, this is the third time that you've now been on our podcast. Michelle featured in episode 23 and 24. So if you haven't listened to those ones, definitely listen because the response of those episodes were incredible. So thank you for coming back on for the third time. Thanks, Danny. I'm so pleased to be here and and I really feel personally connected to the conversation that we're all going to have today. I'm I'm aware and maybe for the listeners out there, we're all in Melbourne, the longest Mm -hmm. lockdown in the world. And... I am so curious to hear both of your two experiences, Sherelle and Danny, but as well as start to make sense using a neural lens of what those experiences mean and how we can make sense of phase one and phase two of lockdown. And in particular, attuned to some resources that might be helpful as we move in a direction of things easing up. Mm, yeah, really what well said, Michelle. It's, it's, um, it's such a unique time and I think it's really important to bring some awareness to people's emotions and how they're feeling. And um, like what you said, the phase one and the phase two and some coping mechanisms as well and getting through Mm -hmm. this. And I think even just being able to get on here and have the conversation in itself is just so, so important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so many conversations out there, Sherelle and Danny, you know this as well. And I feel like, and I know we've spoken about it in the background, it can be really inflammatory. You know, there's so many conversations around political opinions, what should and shouldn't have happened, people's experiences. And there's such a risk of our systems feeling re-triggered, even as we engage in conversations. Mm -hmm. And I know last week we all got together to have a talk about, well, how do we even run this conversation? How do we make sure we're taking care of our own systems as we're sharing our own experience? Take care of our collective system to make sure we're staying zoomed out and making sense of the totality of this experience, but as well making sure we're taking good care of our listeners and creating some resources and tools to help settle at the very least, or at least understand some of what they've been experiencing in the present moment. So I think we went over a couple of goals for this conversation, didn't we? Does it feel okay if I share some of them, ladies? Please share the goals. Awesome. Awesome. So one thing that we had a chat about was around normalization and how important we create a space and a conversation around our experience because every single one of us that has lived through this experience of COVID around the world, and we're speaking to our experience here in Melbourne, our our nervous system is having an incredibly normal response to an abnormal situation. Why is that important to name? Because often when we have our survival pathways that are triggered, it can feel like there's something wrong with us, with our response to it, or we might find ourselves looking at people around us going, whoa, like, why are they, why are they responding that way? But when we start to open up this dialogue, we're hoping to create some awareness around the fact that this is not normal. It hasn't been normal. And in that our brainstem, our nervous system is normally responding to something that's incredibly different and something we've never experienced before. There is no wrong way to respond to something that's so abnormal. Thank you for sharing that. That's very important because as you said, it is an abnormal situation and our responses as an individual are normal. And Mm -hmm. I'm definitely, uh, I can relate to the fact where we think, oh, what's wrong with me? Why am I behaving like this when that person's okay? Or it's just, yeah, naturally you sort of look at what other people are doing and then reflect it back on yourself. But normalization is one of our key goals of this episode. So mm-hmm. oh, it's like a, taking the weight of our shoulders almost. It feels yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. You know, and I think if anything, like if during this time, the one thing that's really highlighted to me is how connected we are via social media and, you know, the news and how much we're surrounded by connection, but how disconnected we still are in everything, if that even makes sense. You know, I think mm. we miss that sense of human interaction and it can be quite overwhelming because it's weird to feel that, to, to be like, oh, but I'm catching up via Zoom with Danny and, you know, but then when you are actually isolated, it can be such a different um, and abnormal feeling, but it is important to normalise that. 
Totally, totally. Well said, Cheryl. And I know we're going to speak a little bit about some of those experiences as we open this dialogue a little mm -hmm. bit more. And, you know, that leads into the second goal that we had for this conversation, which was around validation, right? Really acknowledging and validating that a big part of what we're experiencing and even the nuances requires space and acknowledgement and huge amounts of compassion because it's hard. Right? Even having parts of our system that feel threatened or isolated or scared or unsure or the parts that feel like we should be able to figure this out, mm. we should carry on as normal despite these things showing up in our lives day to day and it being abnormal, that that requires huge amounts of validation, right? More so than we probably think. This conversation might just be the beginning of that for each of us in this space, but as well for our listeners that validation can look and feel and be accessed in many different ways. Mm, yeah. Well, and I guess nice. the third, yeah, the third one, and thanks for staying with this, ladies. <laughs> the third one was around neuroeducation, right? When we zoom out and try and make sense of our experience, there is a conversation that might need to be had around, well, is our system responding to COVID or is our system responding to stimuli that causes it to feel under threat. And what's the difference there? How do we make sense of it? And why will that be important for us to be able to come back to safety in our system, come back to connecting with people in ways that we have access to now, but as well as things ease up, getting back into a regular rhythm or a new normal rhythm that feels a little bit steadier than how we might be feeling right now. Mm. Yeah. And then the final one is around resources, right? And knowing all of this and having a bit of a landscape view how do we access the things that our system really needs to help move into a better space like we were just speaking about a second ago? Mm. All right, bring it cool. on. I am very excited but a little bit nervous for this one, to be honest. Uh -huh. But yeah, let's, um, I'm feeling the activation energy. It's all happening. <laughs> so I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, good tracking. And, and <laughs> you know, that's important to name, Danny. I think even as we're talking about it, it's so essential that we acknowledge that we're living in it. Yeah. Right? So to hold a conversation mm. about things that we're experiencing right now, oh, it needs to be taken so gently. Mm. Right? And if it feels like it's a lot for our system now, we just create space for that. Even here and now as we're navigating. And I really trust that we can do that together. We can really mm -hmm. do that together. So it's a pretty brave and courageous thing. And I'm going to name this for your systems, both of you, as well as my own, to have a conversation from the center of things. Right? Because we're holding a landscape view for our listeners, but we're also holding our own experience and triggers that we might be having, even as we talk about it, right? It's been a lot. It's been a long time, six months, yeah, six months in lockdown. Yeah. And, and maybe we start with a discussion around some concepts, particularly around how does our nervous system make sense of this experience or how could it be making sense of COVID? And Shirelle, you and I were speaking last week in our, in our debrief, around is it COVID that's causing our system to have a response or is it the experiences that are encompassed in it, right? And one of the things that's really important is, well, how does our system take in stimuli? And, and a really good analogy on how our nervous system responds to things or makes sense of things is it operates in the currency of what's called activation, mm. right? So when we have an external stimuli coming in, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be light, it could be sound, it could be movement, it could be other people's nervous systems with mirror neurons. All of that external stimuli comes in our peripheral nervous system and then into our central nervous system and then up to our brainstem and our limbic system. So Shirelle, our survival brain, our emotional brain are having a response to external stimuli. Does that make sense so far, ladies? Mm -hmm. Yep. For sure. The thing about our brainstem, the thing about our survival brain and our emotional brain is it does not understand the conceptual idea of COVID. It doesn't know what COVID is, doesn't know the political ramifications, the financial ramifications. It doesn't understand the relational ramifications. All it understands is there is more external stimuli coming in or there's less external stimuli coming in. And based on more coming in or less coming in, our feeling brain will say that's either safe or it's not safe. Mm. And this is super important for us to understand because, and, I, and I'm going to check in with you ladies in a sec, but a personal example of this in phase one lockdown for my system is when things started to shift down, 
right? We heard about COVID, stuff was starting to amp up, but my day-to-day -day routine started to become less busy. I was in the house. I wasn't getting up as early. I wasn't on a super tight schedule. I was working from home. I was actually getting more sleep and there was a lot less work for me to do. Mm -hmm. And if we look at it through that lens, my emotional brain and my survival brain didn't know anything about COVID, doesn't understand that. But what it did recognize is I was getting more sleep and there was less work to do and I didn't have to leave the house seven times a day. Mm. So for my nervous system at that time, when I reflect back on that, my nervous system went, whoa, there's actually less stimuli coming in. Mm. And this feels safer than when we were super busy three weeks ago. And for my system, things actually felt a little bit more regulated, which was really interesting. Mm. So the parts oh. of my system that cognitively said COVID's a terrible thing and people are really struggling. And there's the concept of understanding that it has a big impact on the world. My survival brain went, well, actually you're sleeping more and you mm. have more space and you're not working as hard. This actually feels okay neurologically for your system just here and now. Mm -hmm. So I'm super curious what your two experiences were just in phase one, just at the beginning, if you can remember and if it feels safe enough. Mm. Go Sharam. Yeah, well, I guess um, for me, the first phase, like phase one, I was still working full time at the hospital. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, nursing at the time. So I was very much fight or flight. It's like, right, you know, like nothing changed for me. If anything, everyone was locked down and I felt like I had this permission slip and I was still going into normal stuff. And sure, things were changing. Policies and procedures were tightening in terms of like no visitors and all that sort of stuff. So it, it was more of like a, like I, I was just activated. Do you know what I mean? Like I was just going and nothing changed for me. And I was sort of watching on the outside, watching everyone like being forced to like lose their jobs and like all these horrible mm -hmm. things happening. And to me, it was sort of like more demand for us. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And then I just, I sort of felt like it wasn't real for me because my life was very much unaffected at the start. So everything was normal, but I was sort of seeing how everyone else was affected. And some degree I sort of thought it's not real. And the amount of times I said, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It, I was the one, it's the flu. Actually, that's right. You did. Mm. Yeah. And I sort of look back now and it's because to me, nothing was affected. Nothing was really changing. I was in maternity. We're very safe in there. Like, you know, very safe. So phase one was, I don't want to say easy, but similar to you, Michelle, I didn't experience anything negative for phase one. Phase two was very different for me, but we'll speak mm -hmm. about that, I guess, um, moving forward. But again, I felt very safe and very comfortable. And I guess with a medical background, disease and illness is very much normalized for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not scared of it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really, does it feel okay if I respond to that, Sherelle? Yeah, and I'm just listening to this for the first time in terms of your experience at the beginning of phase one. And, and there's some interesting things that I've heard, which is the rhythm of my life didn't change too much. I was still doing what I was doing. I've been around disease and that's quite normalized for my system. The regulation that my systems had to be used to at this level of activation was actually pretty consistent. Mm. And then in that, in my nervous system, so things were happening on the outside but your nervous system goes, well, things haven't actually changed that much. Mm. I'm still experiencing quite similar levels of activation to day to day. And it makes so much sense in that context that there's a part of your system that goes, well, it's not that bad. Actually, this feels pretty normal. Mm. This feels pretty normal, which is such a representation of how activation can impact our subjective experience of things. Mm. Right, that it has nothing to do with COVID and everything to do with, well, the activation stayed pretty steady for you. Mm. Therefore, your perception and experience of that time felt pretty steady. Yeah. Can I check in with, with Danny? You sure can. Your experience? I'm super curious. Yeah. And we always, uh, Sherelle and I always call each other yin and yang because although we have very <laughs> similar values and morals, very opposite stories. And I'm going to yeah. be the complete opposite here, which is super cool because I love how, We've all had different experiences, but my phase one was a very fear and anxiety based response. Like it was, it felt like everything I'd ever known was just taken away. And you both know how much I love, you know, my routines and, and everything that's familiar to me. 
So I had a period where I stopped working just based on fear Mm -hmm. um, from the media, from conversations around me. I sort of just got trapped into the, into the rabbit hole of it all. So as a very busy, social, outgoing person that I identified with, all of a sudden it was a complete opposite. I, I didn't have a period of work. All of a sudden the, the beach unit that I was living in, well, I didn't have a backyard. So it, I felt sort of trapped in my own home because we couldn't really, I'm like, can I go walk, go outside? Like, I was scared to walk past people because of all that stuff. I was proper in the shopping centers with my glass. I was doing it all. It only lasted about two or three weeks, but those three weeks where I was genuinely scared was just crazy for my nervous system. Like I would clench my jaw. I would just have my hands closed without even realizing it. There was a lot of um, tension and emotion as a reaction from that experience. So yeah, complete opposite to you guys. Even as I listen to that, Danny, I have to name that I, I feel compassion for those parts in your system at that time, Thank right? You. Particularly because in, in the word that came up to me, or came up for me rather when I was listening to you was around well, what does the system need to feel safe? Mm. Right? And if I'm hearing this right, there's something about interaction, being able to move, excitement, external world, external stimuli that feels really important for your system to steady for it to feel normal. And in reflection of my own experience through that time, one of the things that I've learned my system really needs is to be able to settle and to have quiet and to have less stimulation coming in. And I go, what an interesting contrast, mm. your system that at the same time with the same rules that were implemented, in Melbourne at that time and across the world, your system went, this feels like a restriction of need and that feels incredibly dangerous and really scary and really difficult. And for my system in that time, it felt like a permission to do what I needed, which was to stay home and to reduce workload and to have a little bit more sleep and a little bit more time, right? So subjective, Wow. the same rules, but what feels safe for different systems will elicit a different response on whether or not it feels safer and steadier or our fight, flight, freeze starts to show up. Does that make sense yeah. to you ladies? It sure does. It was yeah. definitely um, fight and flight for me. I was, yeah, it was nuts. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I can even say um, now that like sort of putting the dots together there, Michelle, that mm. in the hospital, there was no panic in the hospitals. Uh -huh. There isn't a panic feel. And that's why going to work, I was mm. like, what is the news? What is social media blowing up? Like when you'd go to work and even Luke would say to me, he's like at the start, he's like, you know, you're not stressed or no one you mm. talk about like work's not stressed. I'm like, no one's stressed. And that's just what mm. I felt. I'm like, no one in the hospital settings worried about this. Like, sure. Mm. Like, you know, it's real when it's happening, but we just deal with it because, um, you know, all the fear-based stuff about not having beds and all that sort of stuff. I wasn't feeling that pressure. Yeah, anyway. That's what scared me when I heard stuff like that. I'm like, Sherelle, yeah. yeah, we sit over there. You're like, yeah, really <laughs> cruisy. I'm like, why am I panicking? Like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like, I guess, you know, and I think as well, we have that, you know, social media is great, but we compare our healthcare system to America. It's very different. You know, we're not running out of ventilators. So it's such a different fear-based culture. And I definitely noticed that. And that's what instilled that sense of, um, or that false hope in me that, this will pass soon. It's going to be over. It's not that bad, guys. We'll be fine. No one's, you know. So it's, yeah, like you said, Michelle, it's very interesting because I guess a lot of people who are exposed to uncertainty and death and fear and disease perhaps had a very similar reaction or response to the way that I did. Whereas um, with Danny, like a lot of routine and structure and very comfortable in that sort of setting, when that rug sort of pulled out, you know, you can respond in that, that alternate way. Yeah, ultimately about whether or not the system that's able to draw upon the resources that it needs to feel safe when new stimuli is coming in. And, and what's interesting, you know, if, I, if we examine this from a neural lens, but also in the conversations I've had with people throughout this process, at the beginning, something new is introduced. And it's really common for our nervous systems to have the kind of response that we have to other things. So for instance, I noticed huge relief, like, whoa, finally, you know, I get some time at home, like, whoa, yeah. that's what I've been working for. And then I noticed 
great opportunity. Let's open a company. Let's do all the mm. things, right? Which is notorious for my system. Rest for a couple of hours and then let's fill in that space and let's do something with it, right? <laughs> yeah. And comes in, we have the default response, particularly in phase one, phase two is a little bit different, yeah. which we're going to talk about in a sec. But as that went along, I'm curious. So I went from feeling relief and feeling my nervous system went, wow, this is the space that I've needed for a while. I recognize it's hard out there, but the activation is lower in my system right now. And then the second activation went lower. I'm like, open a company, do all the things. Here mm -hmm. we go. And it really amped up with excitement around what are all the things that I can do? Mm. It's really interesting to notice. What were oh. your ladies' experiences after a couple of weeks in mm. phase one? Yeah, so once the fear wore off and I realized people are okay, it's all okay, most of it was stories in my head. I even had um, a Zoom with you and some of the girls uh, leading into AON, your new company. So thank yeah. you for starting that company. It really helped me. And yeah, just the normalization that you provided to us, but then also, which I've spoken before, upregulating. So Normally, because I'm such a go-getter, my tools to manage things is meditation and journaling. Yeah. I was trying it, but I already felt low. So the meditation and journaling was just making me feel worse and worse and worse. Uh -huh. So then you shed light on upregulating. So my new meditation and journaling was putting my favorite songs on, having a dance, like calling people on the phone, connecting again. And then that was a very pivotal moment because I then found that motivation. I also started a new partnership and business, cool. spent more time on the podcast. I it was a transition into, yeah, this new career path. But at the start, I was very unmotivated. I could have stayed in bed the whole time, to be honest. And then sort of that upregulation happened with your help. So thank you. And then I was able to sort of get my ducks in a row. I'm like, this is sick. I'm going to start working more online and really just became resourceful again. So like you, I feel, fill it with things to do. But from that aspect, it was a blessing or I really maximized it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how about yourself, Sherelle? Yeah, I can't even remember. Like it's weird to think about how long the time periods were. But um, I guess for majority of phase one, like I said, I was very customized. I guess denial of most of it, like, you know, it's fine. Things were normal for me. I was as well sort of transitioning, but it wasn't affected because it was online. But I had this interesting transition between phase one and phase two where I was home and we were recording via Zoom, Danny, weren't we, when I was back in Swan Hill, when we went into the second one. So I almost had this like part two of three where I sort of went back to the country, which is like another world to Melbourne. So it felt like, and then Melbourne, it was like blew up in this oh, big yeah, bubble. Oh yeah, that was after we opened. Yeah. So we spoken about that yet. Are we going to jump back and talk about the two weeks? Sorry, Sherelle, I'll do that to you. The Just two weeks. Just keep in chronological order. You know how we opened for 10 days? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so phase one, I was very unaffected. Like I said, I wasn't denial. I was just denial. It was just normal for me. I didn't go through that period. I went through it later, which we'll get to, but I didn't go through <laughs> any uncertainty for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is so helpful. Well, hopefully helpful for our listeners, right? To get a sense of, well, three people right in the middle of the long longest lockdown in the world very different systems, different needs, different experiences, but all affected by COVID, right? In mm. hopes of well, one, normalizing, like we were talking about, number two, validating, number three, making sense of the neurological patterns and how it's not the thing, it's actually how our system experiences activation that causes a catalyst or a survival response or a relief or an upregulating mm. of finding resources to fill in space or to get excited, or like you're saying, Sherelle, a normalization of going, actually, we're okay. Things haven't changed too much. Things mm. feel pretty steady. Uh, it's a fascinating experiment as we're, as we're examining all of this together. Like I'm, I'm mm. personally finding this really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to check at this point, you know, for our listeners tuning in, I suppose it's important to name that, whatever your experience was in lockdown one and at the beginning of that is totally normal, right? We are merely three people of a huge collective with a huge amount of stimuli coming in, both with us individually, but as well in relationship. And, and 
that's so important that we validate that here and now. Whatever your experience was is normal in the face of something that was abnormal. Right? We've, we're only sharing just a little snippet of what you might have experienced. Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe we move to what have been closed in. I'm really curious. As we approach the end of lockdown one, right, the premise that, okay, we've been in this subsection, we've got a certain amount of time, there's a finish line there, things are going to open up, gyms are opening up, like, and I'm even noticing your faces right now. <laughs> I know, far out. Did you catch that? Yeah, the nervous side. Yes, like, we're almost there. Oh, but God. then things will be normal. What was your experience when things opened up? Oh, I was out for dinner, cafes. I was like, yes, I was hugging everyone. Ooh, like, yeah, but when I walked in the gym, because I, I started working back there again, um, the end of phase one. When I walked in and saw like the allocated 20 people in, it was overwhelming. And it's as if I forgot how to talk to humans. Like, I, I became really shy. Like, and that's very unheard of for me, but I was like looking around. I'm like, Hey, how you been? Yeah, cool. When am I machine? Like it was, yeah. Like excitement, but then also like, whoa, humans again, a lot of them. Uh -huh. And how about yourself, Sherelle? I think I was just like, guys, told you it was normal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want your response, man. <laughs> I was like, guys, it's fine. Like do it. Yes. Okay. I'll wipe down everything. Like that was sort oh, of my... <laughs> <laughs> but That's yeah yeah uh, it seems like so long ago and again it just seriously does like even being without a mask it seems like so long ago but I do remember going back to the gym and what is that the one thing that I everyone was so respectful like that's what I realized is like when everyone went back to normality even at coffee shops like I felt like yeah. everyone was so polite and like courteous and like it's when something's taken away from us it really does open our eyes that we appreciate the smaller things in life and I think you know it was oh, a little yeah. bit of a high for everyone being able to go out and do all these things without restrictions and and um, social events and yeah so it was really nice. Well, I want to check if it feels okay to examine this a little bit from the neural lens and what might have happened, right? This isn't saying that we know anybody's experience, but there is something to be said for having a timeline, right? The parts of our system that go, okay, we're in this thing and it's for this long. And then at the end of this thing, we can expect that our system can do what it wants and things return to normal. And there might be some modifications, but for the most part, things are going to feel like they did. Right, that's really clear trajectory, a really clear goal for high achievers. That's great. Oh, Thinking yeah. of you two in preps, right? Where you're like 12 weeks, 16 weeks. Like yeah. it's not forever. Yeah. It's not forever. It's just for now. We can stay with this yeah. because things are really clear cut. You know, there's an element of that in terms of our system being able to stay with things that we can expect are going to end. This too shall pass. You know, I'm just reminded yeah. of all of this mindset work that people have with their own nervous systems to stay with things that feel really difficult. And, and my sense of the experience of the nervous system in phase one was a bit like that, which is, this is hard. There are pieces that are scary. I'm having to really adjust and kind of shift my life and what is normal and what I need, but it's only for this long and we're all doing it together and we're all experiencing this. So let's just stay with it. Mm -hmm. right? That's one experience. Default survival mechanisms show up. Maybe there's extra collaboration. Maybe there's some things that shift, but ultimately our nervous system is one way and we're applying the lens that we've had for the majority of our life to this thing, right? And yeah. then things open up and the system goes, right, it's exactly what we said. We made it through like, yes, competition over, here we are. Yeah. And I remember the first time I went into the gym and I was like, I was with my friend and I said, this is the best day of my life. Oh, yes. <laughs> At a part, it was like, I was doing a lap pull down. I was like, this is the best day of my life, right? um, which is not necessarily wow. true. That experience of overwhelm, of being so yeah. excited to just do the stuff, right? What's happening in the nervous system there? However, how long was first lockdown? 12 weeks? Eight weeks? Yeah, I don't I remember. Don't remember. 2020? <laughs> yeah. So it was a section. And what's yeah. happening is our nervous system is having to hold in activation or mm. stay with hypoarousal is what we call it, or lower activation. We have to stay with it. We have to endure, right? But we've got a really clear trajectory. Yeah. Things open up and our nervous system goes, I get to do the things 
that I couldn't do. All of the stuff that's been stuck mm. in my central nervous system can now be moved through my peripheral nervous system and my body feels safe. It can move. It can access what it needs, resources or social connection. It can do what it needs to feel regulated and steady and like things are safe and normal. Right. Mm. And that was for 10 days, I think. And all yeah. the effort that all the, I feel sorry for all the businesses that had to prepare everything, get the that systems going. And then, yeah, 10 days. Yeah. It's huge. Like, it's huge. Yeah. Right? And although we're speaking neural lens today and really zooming mm. out, always holding in mind that there are so many experiences of people who have been really, really difficult, which yeah. we want to acknowledge we're not specifically talking about today, right? Important yeah. that we name that. Absolutely. So Thank for you. 10 days, things open up. The nervous system goes, ah, I can do what I need to do. And in your words, Sherelle, even a shift perspective on, wow, I really value these things even more because that was hard. Mm. And then phase two comes in and we go, oh, this isn't going away. Mm. With a timeline, we had a really clear goal. We're able to stay with it to a big extent. Our system experienced huge relief or excitement or reconnection or normalization. And then bang, we get the second wave and it happens again. Mm -hmm. Really distinct difference between phase one and phase two. Phase one is an initial stimuli. Phase two is the nervous system going, oh, There is no new normal. In fact, Mm. this doesn't feel like it's going away. In fact, this big sigh of relief, this feeling of excitement, this sense of gratitude that things are back and I can access and feel safe and move and do all of the things. Well, that's actually not real. And this new life is real. And even as I say that, I'm noticing, right? Like the heads go down, the shoulders go down, like, whoa. right whoa and there's a heaviness to that why is it important that we speak about this because when we're looking at and i'm going to check in with you too around your experience really safe exploration right we don't have to dive too deep we want to be mindful of our listeners too safe exploration of your experience of phase two which might be different than phase one i suspect Mm -hmm. myself as well but in phase two when a nervous system receives the message that this isn't a short-term thing and it's kind of sticking around, there's a whole bunch of neurological functions that cause the nervous system to shift Mm. and go, that process, that eight-week block or nine-week block where I did this thing, well, that doesn't work anymore. I actually have to find a different way to deal with this threat or perceived threat to deal with the restriction or the loss of tools of safety and resourcing. And I have to start to rewire things to make sense of this and to find safety in this new space. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in a sec, but I'm really curious what you two noticed in phase two and how that differed from phase one. Yeah. So at the start of phase two, it definitely wasn't fear and anxiety and high energy based. It was the complete opposite. It was like, as you said earlier, that low, that whoa, okay. It was really, I was down. But Danny being Danny, I worked the hardest I've ever worked or the, uh-huh. the best. And, and yes, it was very transformational for work and yeah. I'm grateful for that. But that is my coping mechanism. Sure. I cope with stress by feeling productive and getting uh-huh. shit done. And, you know, that's, yeah, how I definitely cope. So that was the first part of it but then only up until maybe two or three weeks ago there's only so much work you can do like I love what I do but I'm really starting to be like Danny you're covering up a lot of things here Mm. so the main underlying feeling is actually loneliness to be Mm. honest that really has been the theme of phase two just missing hugging people social interaction Yes, Zoom's great, but it's just you don't get the same feelings as in real life. Like, that's what we're created for. So that was my, yeah, current experience. I'm okay now. It's definitely been up and down. Like, I've said that I've, I've cried more this year than my whole life. Like, it has been insane. But, um, yeah, polar opposite to, to phase one. But, you know, a lot of good has come out of it. And I've really appreciated my friends and family and 
and really had time to actually notice what makes me feel alive and happy and, and all of that rather than just being stuck in like a rat race every day. It's been yeah. like, all right, this is what allows me to feel good. These things, yes, I might not have it all now, but man, when it comes back, I'm really just going to have a new perspective on everything. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all of that, Danny, because you know that points to one of our major goals in having this conversation, which was around normalization and validation. Mm. Right? And to really name how important contact and affection and human interaction is for your system and to have experienced that and then us to even just touch and talk about that, that's still very real for mm. a lot of people at the moment, right? Things have eased up a little bit, but we're still living it. Mm. So we're just being super gentle and acknowledging for your system and for anyone listening and Sherelle and myself that these things are really tricky, right? Cognitively, you can go, oh, let's hop on a Zoom, right? And it's something, mm. definitely, when we're speaking to the social engagement system, which is a part of the brain that helps us regulate there are pieces of it, but there's something to be said for touch. There's something to be said for proximity. And there's something to be said for the fact that we are hardwired that way. That is a human need. It's not a luxury. It's a need. And when that is affected, our nervous system is always going to be triggered. Always. In many different ways. That's what's been so abnormal about the situation. It's less COVID as a concept and more how it's affected. We interact with people, proximity, I know, Sherelle, when you were speaking last week in our debrief and we were, we were talking about how the nervous system rewires itself, I know I had this really interesting experience at the grocery store and I was in the lineup and I, you know, I'm wearing my mask and I'm going and I'm feeling pretty steady and I suddenly noticed my nervous system become hyper aware that there were a lot of people around. Mm. I couldn't cognitively be able to name like, whoa, there's a lot of people and that's like a risky thing right now. But I did notice the somatic sensation of, oh, there's something that feels a little funny about this, mm. right? Which is when we're talking about rewiring the nervous system, a response that's been conditioned and learned over the course of a number of months that shifts our neurology to go, ooh, proximity. There's something that we need about it that's really important and feels safe. Mm. But we've also been conditioned to say there's something really risky right now about that too. And our nervous system is confused on where it is and how we fit in all of that. So I appreciate you sharing that, Danny, because that's a really big thing, human contact, mm. right? And this really confusing sense in the lower levels of our nervous system of is contact safe or is it not safe, yeah. right? Yeah. Do I connect or do I pull away? And how do I make sense of this new thing mm. that cognitively we can, we can or from, a, from our thinking brain perspective, we can make sense of, but our bodies don't yet understand how we sit in it. So I want to check with you, Sherelle, phase two lockdown, really gentle, right? Being mindful of our own systems. But was that a, a different experience for you in phase two? Mm. Yeah, so completely, oh, it was sort of weird because I went home for three weeks because I had annual leave and I went back to, um, I was in a friend's wedding and um, or helping out as a, one of the bridesmaids. And when I went home, that's when, you know, all shit broke loose in Melbourne and my partner was obviously there. And that's when they put like the, um, the stage three, the second round, just the stage three on. And so I was already back at home in the country and I was like, well, I'm just going to hang here and just see what happens. And so I was home for three weeks and it was very surreal to watch literally Melbourne just go complete lockdown. And I remember even Danny, we were talking and I was like, it doesn't feel real. Like what no. I mean. And I felt guilty because I was like, obviously Luke, my partner was in Melbourne and all you guys as well. And you know, it, I, I was very aware that when I was at home in Swan Hill on the farm, like catching up with all my high school friends and training. And I was like, this isn't real. And this is like my augmented reality. Cause I felt so happy. I was like, it's coming to an end like because yeah. I knew and like I do I'd zoom Luke every day but after a couple of weeks I, he was starting to struggle and I was like I need to go back to Melbourne now so I made that decision went back to Melbourne and that night went stage four and I was just like oh. from absolute freedom to nothing and at that stage as well I was still processing it as the phase one of this isn't sort of real mm -hmm. you know it'll be fine it'll be fine went back because I probably I look back now and I'm sort of like, I think I went back to Melbourne, I guess, um, with uninformed of probably what I was putting myself back into. How could you, um, know? How could you know? 
Yeah. So I sort of went back and then that's when we had that huge spike. Came back to Melbourne because I sort of accepted once I'm back in Melbourne, that's it. Like I'm, you know, stuck, one bedroom apartment, me and Luke working from home. So yeah, it was a very different experience for me. And I think like what you were saying there about space is like when you live in the country, you, you have a different sense of what is close for proximity to you. And I'm very aware of that with myself is like, personal space is important for me because it's the way I've sort of grown up and I'm just like space. I need space. Grew up in big farm, like that sort of stuff. So coming back to stage four restrictions, the tightest and feeling that as well, like in the city where it was like the hot spot. Yeah. That was where I felt very overwhelmed, very mm-hmm. overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And you, you point to something really important there where we heard from Danny a second ago that proximity is something that feels really safe and really important, right? That physical proximity. Mm-hmm. I heard from you a second ago, Sherelle, saying, actually a little bit of space is really important for my system. Mm-hmm. That connection looks different for my system from a physical standpoint than maybe someone else's. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually like you, Sherelle. I love, love people, right? I'm getting some training around this, you know, they're <laughs> training me to hug for a long time and it's highly uncomfortable <laughs> for me, Canadian. Right, we don't kiss on the cheek, but yeah. I'm more like you know, which is connection yeah. is essential and important, yeah. but space is really necessary to help my system breathe and to resettle before I reconnect, mm-hmm. right? So many systems having different experiences. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I have a huge amount of compassion and empathy for is a house is something that we want to feel really sacred and really steady and really comfortable. And it can certainly feel that way when we can come and go and we can go and do what we need to do and have our experiences and then come back. Mm -hmm. But to experience it as, well, this is your only space to resource. This is your only space to meet your needs and to be in a space where you're with a partner as well, even if you love them very much, right? Even if you really like being around them, proximity is something that directly affects our survival brain in a number of ways. It can either help us regulate, like we're talking about with Danny, or too much of it can feel like it's really cramping our style. Mm-hmm. And they're both important to acknowledge. So it's fascinating to hear from you, Sherelle, as well as Danny, in that you've had opposite experiences in terms of what proximity is, has had an effect on. So I want to validate what you're sharing there because I sense it can be a hard thing to share too in saying I really care for my partner and I really like spending time with them, but my nervous system that understands activation doesn't understand concepts. The activation of being around someone all the time and not having space, that can feel like a threat, which has nothing to do with your partner and everything to do with the external stimuli that's coming into your system that's causing the response. Mm. Does that feel, how does that land for you, Sherelle? Yeah, so important. And I think that, that even that conversation about people in the same houses and couples and stuff during isolation is really important because Luke and I have backpacked over Europe, like you're living in each other's pocket for eight weeks, months. And you know, it's a completely different situation to being trapped in a room with, even if it's not the same um, amount of time, like, you know, when you could, we could leave for longer than the hour duration, we would do that so that we could give each other space. But yeah, it's so important to be able to have your own time and perhaps not for everyone. Like Luke's the opposite. Like he doesn't sort of need too much alone time, which is great, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) And he knows that. (laughs) But he knows that and we understand that about each other. But yeah, like what you said there, you can love someone but need space. It's really important to understand that. Yeah. Well, another normalization and validation there, right? That the survival brain doesn't understand the concept. It just understands that there's like a squashing and a pressure it doesn't have yep. to do with the experience, the, the, the objective experience, mm. but the subjective experience coming from a lot of angles can trigger stuff in us. Mm. Makes mm. so much sense to me. Right. I noticed in, in stage four, so my partner started working from home full time and that within two weeks, I, I, even now I'm looking at my eyes, mm. uh, just picking that up. That my system went, what do you mean? I don't even get an hour. Uh, <laughs> like I've never done that before. Yeah. How do I do that? Yeah. Do I hide in my office? Do I, 
like how does my system go with not having space like if i look even back at my childhood i i lived with single parents back and forth and therefore there were huge amounts of time where there was nobody in the house right? and that became really normal for me so it was literally in stage four was very or pardon me the the second phase when it went to stage four was a very different experience for my system than stage three or stage two in the first round and that was a proximity thing for me i went how do i even do this my partner no problem no issue. He was great. Loved it. Grew up in an Italian <laughs> family. Loves being around people. From yep. my system, I went, <gasps> how do I regulate this? Yeah, it's yeah. really fascinating. And I have to say, I've built some skill sets around that, which is so great. But, um, but that's been some work. It's mm. really been some work. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think people have this, um, this like, relationships require work. Like, long-term relationships require work. And that was one of the things that we sat down and had a conversation at the start of it. We're like, okay, we're gonna, this is all teamwork here. Like, you know, I still need to be able to get my exercise in in some way, shape or form. And I can't have you in the space when I do that because that's my time. And I need to I be able to- I remember your videos of him in the, like at his desk while you're doing hip thrusts. He's not even looking. He's just on the computer. You're just- <laughs> Full thrusting. Yeah, you made it work. My hat off to you. <laughs> One peak, he's like, far out. Like, what are you doing? Absolutely destroying myself with a band and some wooden thing <laughs> I found. But yeah, so you know, we had a we had a calendar, like our calendar, and we shared. So we knew that, like, when I was doing what, and we'd ba- would I'd program in like the basic stuff, just so we knew what I was doing. So I think you see, like, you know, I remember seeing all these couples being like you know oh you know isolation's made us so much closer and and that's amazing i'm sure that is the case for some people but i think it is again like you know normalizing that it's freaking hard work and that to get through that as well when you are very much you know like i guess luke and i are very opposite but opposites attract it still requires teamwork in that situation definitely definitely yeah i'm so glad that you shared that Sherelle, you're, you're right. I mean, it can be a fantastic thing if there are parts of this that, that and Danny was speaking about it earlier, I myself have experienced some awesome triumphs through this time that we make use and we're able to still be functional and still tick boxes and still achieve goals while still holding in mind that there are pieces that are really difficult, mm. right? And we can improve our relationships or improve our business and really acknowledge that and celebrate that. And at the same time, there are still parts of us that have been experiencing things that are really confusing or uncertain or really difficult, that we are all things. It's yeah. not just one or the other. So mm. yeah, my partner and I closer than we have been in, in like in the last six months and we have been prior to that, but yeah. that has been tension yeah. to work around that and figure that mostly for me, less for him. He's cool. And you know, at this point, if we're speaking to the difference between, phase one and phase two and how in phase one our nervous system will have a fight or a flight response right our default patterns show up in phase one with the initial stimuli and we have that little break of 10 days where there's relief there's normalization there's gratitude there's a sense of physical emotional cognitive freedom relational freedom and then it lands again and the system has a different response and what comes to mind when I'm thinking of this is actually there's been a lot of research done on animals, right? And one of the, the specific, the specific study that I'm thinking of is, and I feel kind of sad sharing it, but I feel like it's really relevant okay. is that have you ever had, when you're sitting in the living room, you've had a little bird fly into the window. Yeah. Scares the crap out of you. The <laughs> bird, although physically okay, will go into a freeze response. Right, it's such a shock for their system that often they'll fall to the ground and their body's quite rigid. Yeah, right? and yes, where is it? And it's just there on the ground, like cats get away. Oh, yeah, they brain damaged. <laughs> nope. And then, as as a human being, you go, "Oh my gosh, like is that bird okay? I think maybe that bird's died." I'm scared but, to hear this study. <laughs> they didn't piff birds at the wall, did they? Super interesting. So, okay. if you can stay with me, if you can stay with Sorry. me, I promise this is really important. So, let's say 60 seconds, this bird is in a freeze response where the nervous system goes, oh, we need to conserve energy. Something really intense and dangerous just happens. So, we freeze up. And then animals have this amazing capacity to shake things off. They shake off the adrenaline in their nervous system out to the peripheral nervous system and they're able to move again. And miraculously, the bird just gets up and flies off. And you go, whoa, okay. 
the study that was done is if that happens again to the same bird, the freeze response, even if they're physically okay, the freeze response will double. So we go from a 60 second freeze from the first stimuli mm -hmm. and then the body shakes it off and we go, ah, relief, I feel free and safe. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens again. The nervous system has the freeze response, but it's for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. And neurologically, the system goes, oh, this is something we have to prepare for that takes longer to recover from. That physically, we might be okay, but the nervous system has learned that it needs to create space and time to get to the same shake off. Mm. So why is this important? One, the bird is okay. For the listeners out there that are feeling concerned for the bird, the bird is okay. How does, yeah. <laughs> Not if they fly into the windscreen of your car though. They're pretty gone with that one. <laughs> oh, sure. You did that the other day, didn't I? Like, anyway, back to the... Yeah. So in this... So in this scenario, the bird's okay, the bird flies away, it's had a 60 second freeze, then a 120 second freeze. How does this apply to us? Phase one in lockdown, we have a fight or flight response, we have a freeze or collapse response, and it takes a little bit for our nervous system to shake this off. We've encountered really intense stimuli, the nervous system gets really confused and is in a bit of shock. Mm. We have 10 days off, we shake it off. It happens mm. again, and our nervous system either has to conserve a huge amount of energy because it recognizes, oh, this is not going away. A fight or a flight response to just push through and mm. to do all the mindset stuff and to tick all the boxes. Well, that's not effective when things are really ambiguous. Mm. That's not effective when we don't have an end date, right? You can't be in a prep for X amount of time, right? You can't be in a prep yeah. for an ambiguous amount of time. It's too much energy for the system. So it starts to go, ooh, my default fight or flight is not effective in this new circumstance. I just hit the window again. My nervous system's gone into shock. I need to find a different way that's less energy consuming. And generally that means that we're in a freeze for a lot longer because it's a second time around and we've learned and we need bigger amounts of recovery where it might look a little different or our nervous system has to rewire to find a different coping mechanism. Often that means collapse. And so I wouldn't be surprised to hear from our listeners if in phase two in particular, that fight or flight response might've turned to feeling a little bit lower, the body feeling really heavy, motivation being really hard to draw upon. Maybe there was some agitation in there, some things that were a little bit more tricky to stay with and work through, right? It's our, like our little bird friend. This is important to name because as we're moving towards restrictions being lifted, which is the best news ever, as we're doing it in phases, yeah, and we even just saying that, we might notice our nervous system mm. starting to upregulate. We might notice our nervous system going, don't get too excited because you've been here before and there yeah. might be a glass window here. Mm -hmm. You better be careful. Or we might notice our nervous system not having a response and being like, mm. I'm just going to stay here and stay put. And I'm really finding it hard to respond to this shift. Mm. And nervous system's still in a freeze for a longer duration. Mm. So I want to check with you ladies before we start to talk about resources, yeah. as we're going to be winding down in a couple of minutes. But I want to check how that lands for both of you with that analogy and with your experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, um, I, I, I'm getting excited, but then I'm hesitant. I'm like, oh, oh just, yeah, because... I, I really don't know what to believe now. That's just my thoughts. And I'm like, all right, when I hear it, I'm going to believe it. So the hope is there because I want to hold on to the hope. Um, but then, yeah, also like, eh, all right, we'll wait. But yeah. you mentioned earlier about conditioning as well. And I think I told you guys on the debrief last week, my, condi so, like my underlying conditioning, I'm just laughing because it's ridiculous. I saw a, birds again, because that's all we get to really see when yes. we're in lockdown is birds. You've got rabbits. Yes. Um, a group of cockatoos, when I went for a walk, there was probably 20, 30 of them. And I, I was looking and my initial thought was, they're not social distancing. I'm like, <laughs> that was my initial thought of seeing a big group of birds oh, together. And I'm like, whoa, that's just wow. seeped right in. As we mentioned last time, it sort of just seeps into your to your thoughts. I'm like, okay, so well said. <laughs> so well said. I want to check with you, Sherelle, because I do have something I want to share around that, but mm. I'd like to check with you first. 
Yeah, I think um, I think I definitely felt that. Like, you know, I went through the checking all the numbers every day and sort of being like, what are we at? What's the cases mm. to? I don't even want to watch. I don't care. Mm. I, you know, I don't want to watch the news. It's never good. Mm. It's just all political. Like, uh-huh. I don't, you know, so that's sort of me just being like, shut that off, get on with what you can do. And that's just very much me, just like try and move forward. But yeah, I mean, it's, I'm very much the same. Like I know it's going to come to an end. It's just, it's not a matter of if, it's just when. Mm-hmm. And the same sort of thing, I'm not holding my breath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. And I'm really not surprised to hear that, right? From a neurological perspective, that makes total sense, which is what worked in first lockdown with a time frame to just hold to and push through or be excited about what all the things that you can do with a different kind of space. It's going to look different when we hit the window again. Mm. Right? Our recovery from it is extended. There's a level of conditioning because the nervous system starts to learn, okay, this is a repetitive thing. It's actually, mm. it's not going away. This is, this is embedding itself to some mm. extent. And I have to start to rewire and work around it, mm. which is I do not turn on the news. Or I just focus on what's in front of me. Or I start to tune into my system and recognize this is really big. This is important to name. I might need to access resources to help me make sense of some of the newer experiences that I haven't helped before or had before rather, or to unfreeze, however that looks like for you. But in the name of validation and normalization, the difference between a phase one and phase two there are complications and difficulties in phase one and when the nervous system learns again it takes huge amounts of compassion the neural lens can be really helpful to understand and to acknowledge you might have parts of your system that go i should just be able to switch this off i should just be able to recover as fast as i used to i should just be able to make sense of this and just push on but from the neurological point of view, it's like double the amount of time to recover from it. Mm. Or we notice the system is hesitant because it's learned that relief doesn't necessarily mean relief. Mm. Relief might mean blindsided. Relief might mean, oh, I wasn't paying attention and I hit the window again. That's so many nuances to this. And, and I want to acknowledge both of you, myself as well, anybody listening, that a big part of what we're experiencing we can talk about today, but it's also because it's so nuanced, there might be a place for and a necessity for working with someone who is trained in this area to help unfreeze the system, to help make sense of how things have shifted for you and why things might feel a little bit different, right? We're speaking about things like identity and being confused. So I don't really feel like I used to, and that doesn't make sense. Right? I wish I could just like turn it on and it's not happening. All of that is incredibly normal mm-hmm. and, and pretty much to be expected. However, mm-hmm. if our nervous system in here, we're going to drop the seeds of hope here, which is really important. Drop them. If our, yeah, <laughs> 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 if our nervous seat. system has the capacity and the plasticity and the resources to rewire around things that are difficult, It has the capacity and the resources to rewire in a way that feels safer and feels better and helps us return to a place of feeling safe and feeling resourced and feeling free. The best news ever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is um, even remotely the same, but I think everyone could probably relate when everyone transitioned into home training from training at a gym and how shit that felt. Like it was not good. It doesn't matter how much equipment you've got at home. It doesn't feel the same as a gym setting. And, you know, even with my own um, clients that were training at home, trying to motivate them, I sort of use the analogy of caffeine. Like when you, when you start drinking coffee, you drink a lot of coffee, it doesn't have the same sort of effect, right? It's the same as when you're transitioning from the gym to home. You're now sort of that caffeine hit's been taken away and you're not going to get the same adrenaline rush. It's not mm-hmm. going to feel, you know, like what it did the PB at the gym. And then it was like when we went back to the gym, it was like, holy shit, I haven't had a coffee in three months. This is my first double espresso. You know, that's what it felt mm. like going back in. You know, totally. the best day of your life, Michelle. <laughs> totally. Well, I say that often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, that was your best day. Yeah. I, just, I get excited about things. Yeah. I get excited about that's good. <laughs> and then now, like after a period of time, you know, like training at home would feel like a normal hit. You become like desensitized to that as your new normal. So it'll be interesting, you know, when everything goes back to normal, regardless if it's to do with training or social outings or whatever it might be, you know, how will 
interpretate that, you know, we, whether it's through gratitude or through happiness or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Well, it might take some time. Mm. We might find parts of us yeah. really excited and can come back to what feels like normal for us and what feels like safety for us. And there might be other parts that feel hesitant or unsure or not really knowing what to do or might notice symptoms of like proximity and what are the rules and how do we do this? Mm. I forgot how to talk to people. How do I do that? You know, there's an adjustment period there to figure out what safety means. Mm. But if we were to tie this all up into a theme of the best kind of resources that can help a nervous system come back to safety. It is always going to be the felt sense, right? An embodied sense of optionality. If a nervous system is able to access what it needs, if it's able to express, if it's able to move, if it's able to speak, if it's able to access in ways that help our system feel regulated and connected with other people and ourself, that is when we start to rewire and develop new neurons. Mm. It can happen when something really difficult occurs, especially if it's prolonged. It can also happen if we have really joyful and amazing experiences. So even if, as, as I speak to this, in the last month, I've bought, I've bought two little baby rabbits. Mm. And it's so fascinating to notice how unfrozen my nervous system has become with that new stimuli and that connection and that project of building them a bunny mansion, (laughs) creating some excitement around that. It's not just about the contact, but that shifts the nervous system to go, oh, this is a different state that feels safe and joyful and new and can actually create a catalyst for developing new neurons. Mm -hmm. So our best bet as we transition out is to figure out what are the things that feel safe for my system, safe enough? Mm -hmm. How do we access them and be able to bring that into our life regularly with the restrictions that are still impeding? And what do we need to do in terms of accessing help or support to tune into some of the residue that might be left over from this six months month experience that's been going on for some time to help resolve or to process or to make sense of or to settle. Mm. Yeah, very well said. And um, I think it is important that people do feel that they can ask for help. I mean, I had to ask you, but there are people also who are, are qualified in sort of the next level help needed, which it's totally fine. I think it's really important to be able to ask for help because Sometimes when you're so in it, it's hard to work out, well, what do I actually need? Because, yeah, you can scramble from one thing to the other, but definitely uh, if you can't really figure it out, there are people that can help you. So that's important. Yeah. Well, I hope some of the things that we spoke about today can help point or at least identify and normalize that there might be some residue there. And we might notice things about proximity or social engagement or how we feel a little different coming back into the world. And that is a basis to go, are there resources that I need to seek out based on what I've noticed after this conversation? Or do I just want to play it for a little while and just see and see if my nervous system starts to get back into everyday life? Yeah, maybe I'll buy two little little bunny rabbits. What do you reckon? (laughs) Then ours can play. (laughs) Well, I want to check, ladies. Is there anything that we feel like we missed? Mm. No, I think, um, I think, I think we're really, you know, it's really just scratching the surface, right? It's such a deep thing. We're never going to be able to get completely into it. But I think as things return to normal in Victoria, and we've seen that with some of the more remote rural areas opening back up and getting some normality, it's just about revisiting, like what you said, Michelle, what makes you feel good and feeling safe in doing that, you know, going to the beach or going for walks and going training, you know, all these things that have perhaps been taken away from us that do give us that sense of um, relief or safety, you know, as they bleed back in, that's when we're really going to be able to start lifting some of those barriers on ourselves. Yeah, 100%, Sherelle. And and you've just reminded me of something so important to name as we come to an end. And that is, although we're in Melbourne when things are really restricted, Mm. the rest of the country, the rest of the world might be experiencing different levels of lockdown. And and in the differences of experience, it can sometimes feel really confusing to be on the outside looking in and going, do I feel guilty for accessing optionality? Do I feel shameful because I can do what other people can't do right now? Like, how do I even make sense of that? And, and I want to really make a definitive statement. Every single nervous system needs optionality, resources, movement, 
freedom. And while there is a place to acknowledge and validate everyone's experience and, and, and it's important to name that, that Melbourne's struggling with these restrictions at the moment, even if you're outside of the longest lockdown in the world, your nervous system needs the things that you're doing. Mm. And it only understands, like we spoke about coming full circle, it only understands stimuli in terms of the currency of activation, which means we really want to encourage anyone who's listening outside of Melbourne in particular to do what you need to do to help your system continue to feel safe mm. and seen and free because you are deserving of it. And we support you in that. And in doing so, we also might need a check in too. Checking in with the people that you care for, seeing how they are, creating some social connection. And in that, the barriers of isolation, it is our hope that we can create connections that people may not be feeling right now. 100%. We're, we're locking Beautiful. down because we, we don't want anyone else to be affected. Do you know what I mean? Like we, and I think you're right. It's very important um, to raise that, that, you know, there is no room for guilt or shame. You know, we, we want that for everyone as they want it for us. And it's, it's not a matter of if it's just when. So amazing. Um, thank you, you. Anything else to add there, Danny? Just a big thank you, um, Sherelle, for sharing, Michelle, for facilitating this and sharing your wisdom with us and just information that I've never really heard it like this before. So what you're doing is very unique. So I can't thank you enough for coming on our podcast for the third time. It's, it's always incredible talking to you and with you and being able to share. So thank you again for the listeners who want to get more of you because I can't get it off of you. You're just that amazing. Where can people find you or, or just tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Thanks so much, Jenny. So I'm the owner and director of the art of noticing where we are a community of women creating spaces of safety and connection using the tools of neuroscience, tracking and making sense of our system. Much of what we spoke about today is encompassed in the curriculums and the spaces that we create, whereby we have the tools and the ability to make sense of our internal world and internal experience and improve our experience of the world alike. So if you need to find me, if you want to find our community, you're just curious, you can hop on over to our Instagram page, The Art of Noticing, or contact me directly, Michelle Beatty, on Instagram, and we can go from there. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Michelle, for joining us and helping us, you know, put words into normalizing what's going on because we've been throwing this conversation around and we couldn't think of anyone better than yourself to have on. So if you guys did take something away from this episode, which I'm sure most of you did, please do take a screenshot, tag myself, tag Danielle, tag Michelle, and of course the Level Up podcast. Thanks, ladies.